MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, September 7th, 2020. Today, Bill Barr lies about voter fraud again as he and Trump continue to participate in Russian talking points. NRA's number two calls for gun control. Trump tries to defund the Stars and Stripes publication and is met with massive resistance. Blue Lives Matter supporters are arrested in Kenosha and found to have a slew of firearms. NPR finds that overwhelming majority of arrests in Portland were for tiny misdemeanors. New details emerge from Michael Cohen's forthcoming book after The Washington Post receives a copy. The Washington Post exposes a new federal crime committed by Postmaster General DeJoy. And The New York Times reports over 51,000 new cases of COVID across over 1,000 college campuses. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Happy Labor Day. I trust you had a good weekend. I know I did. And thanks to everyone who joined our Friday live stream happy hour. Um, and special thanks to LB, Lincoln's Bible, for popping in. It was so great to see you. Always a pleasure. Uh, this week's happy hour will be joined by our guest hosts, Amy Carrero and Dana Goldberg. Perhaps they'll pop in. Maybe some other justice celebrity pop-ins. I don't know. That starts at 4 p.m. Pacific for patrons on Friday and 5 p.m. for the public. We will end the live stream at 5.30. We're cutting it by half an hour, so get in while the getting's good. And speaking of patrons, I am proud to announce that because of the generosity of our patrons donating one-year memberships to those who can't swing it, and also uh, those who might be in need, our frontline workers, veterans, service members, and healthcare workers, uh, we now have a surplus of free memberships, but they're going fast, so you can sign up to get one at dailybeanspod.com. Just scroll down on the main page and you'll see it. And if you want to help by donating a one-year membership, it's only $36. Thank you so much for your generosity, everyone. Uh, we do have a big show today, including our Flip It Blue segment with Dr. Alexandra Owensby. She's running against Tom Massey in Kentucky's 4th District, and even though it's a ruby-red district, she's got an advantage because in the history of Kentucky... Thanks to Democratic governor, y'all elected, Andy Bashir, it has never been easier to vote in Kentucky. We will also be speaking with Greg Oliar, author of Dirty Rubles, about his latest work. And of course, I'll give you the good news before we sign off. And coming up this week, we have a big week, Tuesday. Um, we will be joined by um, Dana Goldberg for Wednesday's show. And Friday, we have Amy Carrero. And Thursday, I will be talking to the number one Russian spy hunter in America, Peter Strzok. We have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. The lead story today is about Postmaster General DeJoy. And although we know he's already committed a felony by lying to Congress under 18 Code Section 1001, the Washington Post has this reporting out Sunday. Quote, Louis DeJoy's prolific campaign fundraising, which helped position him as a top Republican power broker in North Carolina and ultimately as head of the U.S. Postal Service, was bolstered for more than a decade by a practice that left many employees feeling pressured to make political contributions to GOP candidates. Money DeJoy later reimbursed through bonuses. And this is according to former employees. Five people who worked with DeJoy's former business, New Breed Logistics, say they were urged by DeJoy's aides or by the chief executive himself to write checks and attend fundraisers at his 15,000-square-foot gated mansion beside a Greensboro, North Carolina country club. Um, there, events for Republicans running for the White House and Congress routinely fetched $100,000 or more apiece. 
Two other employees familiar with Newbreed's financial and payroll system said DeJoy would instruct that bonus payments to staffers be bolstered and boosted to help defray the cost of their contributions, an arrangement that would be a crime. These are straw donors. The unethical behavior of Trump officials never ceases to amaze me. Uh, When I worked for the government, I couldn't receive a gift worth more than $25. But this is absolutely criminal, and Democratic lawmakers are already urging the FBI to investigate. Though, with Bill Barr at the helm, I expect little to no action on this. But the statute of limitations is five years, and though this happened a while ago, I don't know when these paybacks occurred. Uh, but it, there, there is no statute on the uh, on this statute of limitations in North Carolina, so state charges could be brought. So, if you want to see DeJoy behind bars, vote for Joe and Kamala. And speaking of Billy Barr and his latest warning about the dangers of mass mail-in voting, uh, he pointed to a case in Texas that he said highlighted the risk of fraud. Um, quote: Elections that have been held with mail have found substantial fraud and coercion. Uh, According to Barr, as he told CNN on Wednesday, for example, we indicted someone in Texas, 1,700 ballots collected. He, from people who could vote, he had made them out and voted for the person he wanted to. Okay. Well, federal prosecutors brought no such indictment. Uh, I don't know if Bill Barr knows indictments leave a little bit of a paper trail, (laughs) and uh, there isn't one. And while a Justice Department spokeswoman said Barr was referring to a local prosecution involving suspected mail-in voting fraud in city council elections, the assistant district attorney on that case said Barr's description doesn't match the facts. Bill Barr, Donald Trump, and Republicans are now actively participating in a Russian op that they have all been briefed on by U.S. intelligence agencies. We learned that last week. I expect this behavior to continue during the remaining 57 days left before election. And from the Times this weekend, the National Rifle Association's former second-in-command, number two, Mr. Poop, he's breaking with the group's orthodoxy and calling for universal background checks and so-called red flag laws in a new book, assailing the organization as more focused on money and internal intrigue than the Second Amendment, while thwarting constructive dialogue on gun violence. The former executive, Joshua L. Powell, who was fired by the NRA in January, reinforces the kind of criticism made by the organiza- made of the organization by gun control groups and state regulators. But it's the first critical look at its recent history by such a high-ranking insider. He describes the NRA's longtime chief executive, Wayne LaPierre, as a woefully inept manager, but also a skilled lobbyist with a deft touch at directing Trump to support the group's objectives and who repeatedly reeled in the president's flirtations with even modest gun control measures. Um, it, the, the book, it's called Inside the NRA, a tell-all account of corruption, greed, and paranoia within the most powerful political group in America, is to be published next week. The latest public calamity for an organization that has faced years of headlines detailing allegations of corruption, infighting, and even its infiltration by a Russian agent. You and I know that Russian agent to be Maria Butina, a.k.a. the Devil's Mermaid, Honeypot, Red Sparrow, lady friend of RNC official Paul Erickson, who was on the way to prison, by the way, for defrauding the disabled and elderly. Only the best people. Also from the Times, President Trump said late Friday he planned to reverse Pentagon budget cuts that would have permanently closed Stars and Stripes, the military newspaper that has both informed and spoken for American troops over the decades. Under Defense Department spending plans, the paper would cease to print an online publication by September 30th, and that is a move as seen uh, as ex- seen as expanding the Trump administration's war on news media to include those paid by the government to cover the military. Yet, while the demise of Stars and Stripes has been in budget cuts first proposed by Mr. Trump's Pentagon in February, the president announced the paper would continue to publish. 
He tweeted, quote, The United States of America will not be cutting funding to Stars and Stripes magazine under my watch. Even though it was in his budget. Mr. Trump posted that on Twitter several hours after major news organizations began publishing stories about the pending closure of the newspaper. Oh, the media found out and announced it, and so he walked it back because of public outrage. He says, quote, It would continue to be a wonderful source of information to our great military. Yeah, it seems like Trump's 180 came after public outrage, especially in the light of the Atlantic reporting on the shitty things he said about veterans and American war dead. That's a story that seems to be sticking with Veterans Day following just a week after the election, eight days. And from ABC News this weekend, two Missouri men were arrested on firearm charges after a tipster warned law enforcement the pair were traveling to Kenosha, Wisconsin with assault-style weapons. This is according to court documents. Michael Carmo, aged 40, and Cody Smith, 33, were arrested at a hotel near Kenosha on Tuesday and charged with illegal possession of firearms. Um, This is according to an announcement from the Justice Department on on Thursday. According to the criminal complaint, they were found with a major cache of firearms and weapons in their vehicle and hotel room that included AR-15s, excuse me, one AR-15, a shotgun, handguns, a dagger, a saw, and magazines. Uh, This tracks with everything we know about BLM being peaceful protests and the violence being caused by white supremacists and police. In a related story, NPR has done some digging and says, quote, in President Trump's telling of it, Portland, Oregon is a city under siege and ablaze by violent radical leftists. He has suggested that only the strong hand of federal law enforcement can save it. But on Fox News this week, acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf, he even admonished the state and local leaders there and elsewhere for failing to restore law and order and touted Trump's response saying, quote, we've seen about 300 arrests across this country regarding civil unrest and protest, violent protesting. I'd say criminal protesting, criminal rioting, Wolf said, as he changed his message throughout his sentence. Quote, about 100 of those have been in Portland specifically. I don't know the Department of, and I know the Department of Justice has charged about 74 or 75 individuals there with different federal crimes. But, again, indictments and Crimes leave a paper trail. And NPR reviewed the federal crimes brought in Portland and shows that the majority of the charges are for what could be considered minor offenses. As of August 28th, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Oregon had charges outstanding against 74 people in connection with the Portland unrest. Of those cases charged, 11 are for citations, like a ticket. 42 are for misdemeanors, meaning more than 70% of the total charged cases are not felonies. So that's what's going on there. Also, the Washington Post has obtained a copy of Michael Cohen's forthcoming book, Disloyal. It's fucking essential. In the book, that's not what it's called. (laughs) It's called Disloyal. Uh, In the book, Cohen lays out an alarming portrait of the constellation of characters orbiting around Trump, likening the arrangement to the mafia, calling himself one of Trump's bad guys. He describes the president, meanwhile, as a cheat, a liar, a fraud, a bully, a racist, a predator, and a con man. It's funny that they can I know that they're a mob. I know that this is a transnational crime syndicate, but they turn on each other. So they are such selfish, evil assholes. It is a circular firing squad. There's a that is why we had a plea agreement dangler in our fantasy indictment league. You got extra points if they got a plea agreement because they are ratting each other out so hard. So it's like the mob, but few like the mob has fewer rats somehow. Um. But anyway, uh, Cohen's memoir describes episodes of Trump's alleged racism and his hatred and contempt of Obama. There was some sort of faux Obama thing that they did. We knew that. That's 
you know, I mean, we didn't know about the Obama thing, but we, we know he's racist and he hates Obama. Uh, Cohen also reveals new alleged details about the convoluted effort behind the National Enquirer reporting um, against Ted Cruz. Cohen says that Trump signed off on the baseless report to damage Cruz once one of his rivals in the 2016 Republican primary. And we all we kind of knew that. I mean, if you remember, Trump accused Ted's dad of being involved in the assassination of JFK. And then it came out in the Enquirer like, oh, shocker. I wonder if those are connected. Yeah, we knew that. Cohen also writes that before winning the presidency, Trump held a meeting at Trump Tower with prominent evangelical leaders where they laid hands on him in prayer. Afterwards, Trump allegedly said, can you believe that bullshit? Can you believe people believe that bullshit? Okay, so he's just—he's just—he's not genuine, disingenuous, no shit. But here's the big story to me, missing from that Post article, is a tiny little paragraph written by Cohen about Russian oligarch Rybolovlev and his purchase of Trump's Palm Beach mansion for more than twice its value. Trump—it was worth forty-one million or so. Trump bought it for that, sold it for ninety-five million, and then Rybolovlev turned around and sold it for twice that within two years. Money laundering flags. Of course, FinCEN is the one who who would um, flag that, and Barr's daughter is working there now. But Cohen writes that Trump said, told him he believed that the real buyer was Putin. That's that's very astounding, but not surprising. At the same time, we need a word for something. We need Schrodinger's surprise, right? It is fucking shocking, yet also totally tracks. Schrodinger's surprise. Finally, a New York Times survey of more than 1,500 American colleges and universities, including every four-year public institution, every private college that competes in the NCAA sports, and others that that identified cases, have revealed that at least 51,000 cases and at least 60 deaths have happened since the pandemic began. Good job, Trump. Way to give it the old college try, I guess. Everybody, we'll be right back with our Flip It Blue segment. Uh, We're going to be talking to Dr. Alexandra Owensby running in Kentucky's 4th District to unseat Republican incumbent Tom Massey. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. As you already know, for the past four years, I've had a really tough time sleeping. Uh, I lay awake. I wake up every hour. I'm tossing and turning all night. I'm unable to fall asleep. I feel tired and sore the next day. And at first, I thought my insomnia was just caused by the stress of having Trump as president, all this anxiety and gaslighting. But as it turned out, I also had a garbage mattress. So I got Helix Sleep. And it is the best mattress I've ever had in my whole life. And I'm not exaggerating. And you've heard Jordan talk about hers. And you've heard Mandy and Joelle talk about theirs. Because they understand that you're unique. You you have different sleep preferences. And they customize the mattress to fit you. And Helix Sleep created a sleep quiz online. It takes two minutes to complete. And they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. So if you like a mattress that's soft or firm, or if you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach, or if you sleep really hot, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique taste. Like me, I was matched to the Helix Midnight because I like a medium firm bed and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. But you don't have to take my word for it or Jordan's or Joelle's or Mandy's. Helix was actually awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and now again in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it for 100 sleeps, risk-free. And they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time to flip it blue. I'm blue. And joining me today is Dr. Alexandra Owensby. She's a nurse practitioner. She's running against Thomas Massey in Ruby Red, Kentucky's 4th District. And I am so happy to welcome her today. Uh, Alexandra Owensby, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, 100%. We are so dedicated uh, on this program. Everybody's focused on the Senate. Everybody's focused on the White House. I'm like, I'm going to focus on the house. We got to hold the house and maybe we can flip a few seats too and get even a get even a bigger lead than we have right now. And so that's why I wanted to talk to you today because this seems like an overlooked district because it's strong red. But tell us why you think this election can change things. So it is, you know, it's actually a very interesting district, right? Because it hasn't always been strong red. Um, you know, and unfortunately in the last few election cycles, we haven't ever had a Democrat run that's really given it a good go. I mean, Seth Hall ran before me and he did pretty well, but, you know, he was working full time as well during it and didn't raise a whole, whole lot of money. So we've already raised almost twice the amount of money that anybody has raised since 2012, whenever Massey took office. The nice. two Democrats before Massey or before Seth didn't even raise enough money to file FEC reports. So, I mean... <laughs> That tells you something about the effort that's been put into the seat. And I think that's one of the reasons why it gets characterized as such a red district. When in reality, we know I've got 20 different counties in my district and 50 percent of the population is in the top three right up by the Cincinnati suburbs. Mm. And two out of those counties, two out of those three counties went blue for Bashir. Mm. And then we have another county where we have a pretty high population, Oldham County. And while they went red for Bevan. In this last um, election on the primaries, they had a special election for their state Senate seat, and they actually elected their first Democratic senator in 10 years for that seat. So I think, you know, the, the assumption that this is just a Republican district and area and it will, will never change has been proven wrong lately. Um, and, you know, I think that we're seeing the results of that. I think we are seeing a number of people that are just really fed up, especially suburban women that are fed up with the Republican Party. Because they feel like they don't represent women and they don't represent women well. They don't represent them at all, let's be honest. Mm. And the attacks on women's bodies, their health care, their reproductive rights, things like that has just gotten to be too much for them. So I actually have four Republican women working on my campaign because oh, they're so awesome. fed up with their party. <laughs> My mom is in Arizona, which could flip blue uh, this election. And she she's a lifelong Republican, um, but she voted uh, for Hillary. And she has Republican women for Kristen, Kirsten, Kristen Cinema, mm -hmm. and, and she's working diligently with Republican women for Mark Kelly. So I love that all these Republican women, these, uh, I'm sorry, suburban housewives are coming <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the, of the, you know, about you personally, because you are a nurse practitioner, you're a single mom, and you earned your degree after escaping an abusive marriage. And I have recently uh, fled a domestic violence situation, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and, and, and how I feel women have a different sort of view of justice in politics. And, and I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree entirely. And I mean, you know, whenever you look at 
all of the rules that, you know, are just now finally getting passed. I mean, you know, the fact that for how long was it that pregnancy was considered a pre-existing condition? One of the reasons behind that is because less than 6% of Congress has ever given birth. And I think, you know, women do like we we view things very differently. Right. Because we kind of we're the people that step up to the plate and get things done whenever nobody else wants to step up to the plate. (laughs) And so I think, you know, we certainly have overcome huge things to be here. And I think that we need more women and female representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now you have uh, two children, Ben and Maya. Maya. Mm -hmm. Correct. You've homeschooled them and you are also active in your church. Can you talk a little bit about that and and how your faith plays a role in this in your family and and how you're moving forward with with your platform? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's no way that I would be where I am without my faith. Right. So whenever I was in my abusive marriage, I knew I needed to leave. And I had my first degree was in public relations and marketing and I never really used it. I ended up working for the restaurant industry Um, and then I got married and did real estate for a while. And it became obvious to me that it wasn't a good situation, that I was going to have to leave. Um, and I started, I, I remember thinking about, okay, how am I going to, you know, provide for my family? Because I knew that he wasn't going to be much help. And so I actually remember my church at that time was very into, they had a AIDS hospital in South Africa. And I remember they were advertising a mission trip. And I just was so, for some reason or another, everywhere I turned, it was about South Africa, right? And I knew I couldn't go on the trip because I had these kids that I had to take care of. I think I had just given birth to my daughter then. And I just remember calling them and saying, you know, I, I don't know why, but I just feel like I need to call and talk to you about this trip. I know I can't go. And what they told me was, you know, for future trips, we really need healthcare providers. And it was like this light bulb went off in my head. And they were like, we particularly need nurses. And so two weeks later, I started back to school to finish up um, the requirements that I needed to get into nursing school. And, you know, it's really taken me to where I am now. And, you know, I, I, I am a firm believer in God and that through him, all things are possible. And so because of that, you know, faith, because I do believe that, you know, I'm a child of the king, I feel like I can take on hard challenges. And, you know, the David and Goliath story, right? So, I mean, whenever I look at this race, that was one thing that I talked to a lot of different women about running, because whenever I was thinking about running, I, I first thought of all of my friends, right, that I thought would be really great politicians. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you should run. You should do this. And what I heard time after time was, no way. It's so scary to run. It's too big of a challenge. Like, there's no way that I could take that on. And so I think that, you know, because of all the adversity that I'd been through, And also because of my faith, I felt like it was time for me to step up to the plate and really kind of lead. And, you know, also with my small group, you know, I naturally have a lot of Republican and Democratic friends because I led a small group at my church. And so, you know, I was able to kind of see both sides of the fence on things and, you know, kind of get that input. I sat down with all of my Republican friends and said, hey, why are you a Republican? Like, what's your viewpoint? What makes you a Republican? And I mean, I will say what I heard time after time again was, you know, I really don't even know anymore. And that's the women that ended up joining my campaign. (laughs) You know, I mean, the big thing for them is just really the the fiscal issues for Mm -hmm. most of my friends anyway. And so, you know, I got it. I think that, you know, being a a full-time single mom, I've learned how to do a balanced budget. I've learned how to make do on next to nothing throughout my life. And that's one of the things that's really helped me out in this campaign because, you know, this district is not traditionally a huge fundraising district. But I've learned how to do 
so much stuff myself. I've traditionally worked two to three jobs because I have so much in student loans after everything. Um, and so, you know, because I'm not afraid of that hard work and because I do know how to budget things well, I think it's something that'll come naturally to me. Yeah. And I mean, you know, let's be honest here. Uh, I miss the old guard Republicans where we would have arguments about big government versus small government and we would have debates about spending and fiscal responsibility. But if we want to talk about fiscal responsibility, the Republicans are not that party anymore. Next year, we are on pace for our national debt to outpace our economy for the first time in history. And, you know, we have the 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 Fed and and Mnuchin and the Treasury spending $7 trillion to buy corporate debt and corporate bonds to prop up the stock market to make us think the economy is all doing well. I don't see this party as the party of fiscal responsibility anymore. I see the Democratic Party as the party of fiscal responsibility. And and uh, I, I appreciate, you know, uh, you know, what you're trying to do in that arena. And I I want to talk about you mentioned David and Goliath. Let's talk about the Goliath in the room. Let's talk about Tom Massey, because. He is your opponent. He's your Republican opponent. He has been he he's been called the most hated man in Congress. And the, <laughs> and the media says he's responsible for the dumbest moment. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was whenever he was talking to John Kerry and he was talking about the um, you know, climate change. And he, you know, <laughs> even though he went to MIT. He is this complete climate change denier, and he was trying to say, well, you know, whenever the Earth first started, the CO2 levels were higher. Mm -hmm. And John Kerry's like, yes, but the world wasn't inhabitable then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he called John Kerry a pseudoscientist. He's like, well, you say that your degree is in science, but yet it's a Bachelor of Arts. And Kerry's like, yes, because it's a political science degree. And Massey's like, so... (laughs) You know, you're trying to say you're a scientist, but you're not. He's like, no, I never said I was a scientist. <laughs> like, I mean, come on. What politician doesn't know what a political science degree is? <sighs> so, yeah. But there's just, you know, so many things. Like, you know, for, for somebody that went to MIT, I, I mean, I don't know if he's just pretending that he doesn't know what facts are, what research studies are. I mean, you know, he posts these things all the time that are from either non-peer-reviewed sources Or I've seen a bunch of his stuff. It's like research studies that somebody has done and they cite their own other research studies as evidence because they're the only people that are coming up with this. And so, you know, it's just scary that people, you know, believe him because they think that he's from MIT and a scientist. But really, he doesn't rely on facts at all for his judgments. No. And that's the thing, too. It's, It's clear that he's either being disingenuous or he's just not smart. And and either one of those should disqualify him for this position, in my personal <laughs> opinion. Now, what did he, didn't he just go on, uh, what was he recently saying about um, Kyle Rittenhouse? Yeah, so he just went on a radio show in our area yesterday morning and talked about the fact that, you know, this guy was a hero and he showed great restraint because he didn't just empty his magazine into the crowd and that he was acting in self-defense. You know, I mean, obviously completely ignoring the fact that, yes, he was running away, but that was after he shot somebody in the back and killed him. And so, you know, of course, these people are chasing him down. You just murdered somebody and you're trying to run away. What do you expect is going to happen? So a crazy person who travels across state lines with a long rifle and shoots only a few people instead of a bunch is a hero. Yeah. You know, self-restraint. That's that's what it takes in this world. And and 
you know, there should be more people like him that are willing to go out and do things like this. I mean, come on. Like, you know, one of the problems with our country right now is that we're so completely divided. And what we need more than anything is people that are looking to bring the parties together and to bring healing rather than trying to sow more division, more hate. Yeah. I mean, Massey constantly tweets about the fact that, oh, we sold a record number of guns this year. Well, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Like we should, we shouldn't have people that are so afraid that they feel like they need to run out and purchase weapons to defend themselves. We should have people that believe in the system and that believe, you know, in their neighbors. And we've lost that in this country, and we desperately have to get back to it. Yeah, I agree, and I, I and that's why I encourage everybody to check out your website and check out your campaign and donate and contribute. We need to hold the house. We need to flip some seats and we have to get rid of Thomas Massey. I mean, up he's up there with Louis Gohmert on my list of the two dumbest <laughs> congressmen people in, in history. And we need Congress to look like this country. We need more women. Yes, we need more women. We need more, you know, moms and single moms. We need more people that know what challenges working and middle class people face because we will never be able to overcome those challenges if we don't get people elected that know what those challenges are. I mean, you know, I remember whenever I was going to work, it was a huge issue because childcare a lot of times eats up all of a woman's income. And so how do we address that? How do we keep women in the workforce? Because after a woman has a child is whenever her income goes down disproportionately to men's. And after a man has a child, his income tends to go up. So how do we be accommodating for women in the workforce. These issues are not going to be answered by people that have been born with a silver spoon in their mouth and never face them. Yeah, or a golden toilet, right? <laughs> or both of the above. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, um, will you tell everyone where they can find you and where they can contribute to your campaign? Sure. So my website is www.a as in Alexandra, m as in Marie, Owensby, O W E N. SBY.com. It's www.amowensby.com. You can donate through there, and then you can also search for me on Act Blue and donate to Alexandra Owensby. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are really pulling for you, and I'm going to go there and I'm going to donate right now. Everybody, Dr. Alexandra Owensby, running for Kentucky's 4th District for United States Congress. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's AG. We are in the middle of a heat wave. It's been really hot lately, and so it's important to stay hydrated. Drinking enough water increases your brain power, keeps, you know, boosts your productivity and energy. It prevents headaches. It increases your focus, improves your skin tone and, and, and your mood, helps your digestion. Uh, it even prevents bad breath and can help you lose weight, too. But how much water should you drink every day? Ten cups? A gallon? Do I need an IV? <laughs> Don't do an IV. The good news here is it doesn't have to be so complicated, and that's why I start my day with Hydrant. Hydrant helps you hydrate faster. Hydrant has created a refreshing electrolyte powder that you mix directly in water for more efficient for more efficient and effective hydration. It hydrates you quickly and keeps you going for longer. I uh, usually um, have some before I go on a run, and I have more energy. I can I can run for longer. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes you need: sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. And it packs a punch to help your body hydrate fast and stay hydrated. So if you're looking for that extra boost of energy, they also have Hydrant Plus Caffeine, and that contains 100 milligrams of caffeine from green tea. And it is backed by research science. 
Uh, the formula was developed by an Oxford scientist, and it's also loved by pro athletes, top performers, celebrities, and it has thousands of five-star reviews. And it's made with real fruit juice powder, so it's delicious and refreshing, and it comes in a variety of flavors, including summer-friendly iced tea lemonade. It's really refreshing, and they have fruit punch, too. My current favorite flavor is lime. It tastes amazing, and I always feel refreshed and revitalized. Plus, it's backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee, so if you don't love it for any reason, send it back for a full refund. You need to try it for yourself to see what I'm talking about. It tastes incredible, and it works, and it starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. Save even more with a monthly subscription. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 25% off your first order. Go to drinkhydrant.com slash dailybeans or enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's D-R-I-N-K-H-Y-D-R-A-N-T dot com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans for 25% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, today for the interview, I have brought back a good friend of mine, uh, Greg Oliar. He's the author of Dirty Rubles and uh, many other books and many, many, many tremendous books. And uh, he, you know, he's he writes a lot online. And as we know, this weekend, I, I, I did the lead story on Friday's Daily Beans about um, this new information coming out about things that uh, Donald Trump has said about American war dead and our veterans calling them losers, calling them suckers. Uh, etc. And that, of course, you know, really moved me because I have a long family history and it also moved Greg. And Greg is here to talk about that and his new piece. So welcome, Greg. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you because you put out a piece about your great uncle in World War II. And Greg, my great uncle, Fritz Meyer, um, was shot down uh, over, over Nazi Germany. And in World War II in his plane. I didn't mention him in my tweet. I only talk about my grandpa who went down on a ship in the South Pacific in World War II. And then, of course, um, my father, who was exposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam, died at 46 due to complications of that. And I've, I've, I'm just absolutely reveling and in, in all of the responses to our tweets and to this article that I'm, I'm seeing from people posting pictures of their family members who were in the service. And tell us a little bit about your great uncle. Well, he was, um, he was 17 um, when Pearl Harbor happened. So he um, signed up for the Marines. He lied about his age, which I think, based on what I've learned on Twitter today, was not uncommon. Um, and, you know, joined the Marines, he got shipped off to the Pacific and, and was there for four years. I mean, kind of not eating very well and, uh, you know, fighting in some pretty heavy duty uh, battles, including I know he was at Guadalcanal. Um, you know, and he's uh, he was a Marine and that's it. And he was very proud of that uh, all his life. Obviously, uh, when I knew him, it was long past that time. But um, I remember he died in 1995 and I remember at the funeral. um you know, they send the guys to, you know, with the flag and the and the salute and all that stuff. And it's really amazing. I mean, to that they honor the dead that way. Yeah, I, I was I had to sing Amazing Grace at my uh, veteran grandfather's funeral and I couldn't get through it uh, with yeah, the taps, yeah, no. <laughs> the taps and the flag. And the, and it just um, it's it's hard. Yeah, no, it, it it's. uh you know, it's moving. It's it's very moving because you think about the sacrifice that these guys, um, you know, gave for the, for the country and for the, uh, their families and everything else. And, and both of my grandfathers were also in the war. Um, my my mother's father was in Europe and my my father's father was a chemical engineer and he was in the Pacific also. Um, you know, it was just it's just something that people did. And I think what's so nice and, and moving, I think, um on Twitter today and 
the last couple of days are people posting these photos of uh, of the servicemen and women, um, you know, with the, with the obligatory tagline, not a loser, not a sucker. Yeah, and, and respect our vets. Yeah. Uh, we respect vets. And, I mean, there's so many hashtags, and, and this story seems to be sticking, which I'm uh, glad about because it, it's so important. I mean, you know, we've heard Donald Trump utter bullshit about war heroes and gold star families and the way he spoke to that the widow over the phone and and been to dover four times and stopped going because somebody wouldn't shake his hand or some bullshit um he's just a, i never heard a human being denigrate people kia pow's um, mia veterans war dead the way that he does the way the things that he said about the 1800 marines who fell at bella wood and it's just absolutely beyond the pale and now we've got all these multiple sources confirming it and you sent that article that atlantic article to some family members can you tell us about that what happened yeah, this is what the piece was. I mean, I I um, I sent it to my mom, and I I never do this, but I I said this is an important thing. I just my my sense, as you said, I don't think the story is going to go away. I think so many people have uh, relatives or ancestors or 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 people that they know that that served in the military, and this is this is a, an insult to, to all of them, um, particularly that that greatest generation, which I think rightly um, we remember. Um, with with respect and, and and sort of some amount of awe because they went there and you know they fought Hitler and um, you know and won. Um, so I, I really I, I wanted to make sure that my mom was aware that this had happened because I think at this point a lot of people are tuning out of the news entirely. They're just like I can't handle it anymore. He they know Trump's awful, but you know they're just they have that perception that nothing ever happens. He never gets caught or whatever. And I wanted her to be aware of this because there's pushback among other members of my family and people in her uh, social life that, oh, maybe Trump's not so bad, this and that. But this story I felt was was important um, and simple, easy to understand. You know, he, he said that he did not go to the cemetery because he, he thought the people there were, were losers and suckers. And he's not a nice, you know, it, it, it completely disrespectful and unfit uh, to hold the office. So I. I sent it to her and I said, you know, please send this to anybody that you think would would want to do it. And then I wrote at the end, uh, you know, what I wouldn't give for Uncle Frank to come back from the grave as a, you know, 48 year old Marine vet um, and just kick this guy's ass because he would, you know, he would have. He was a tough guy, super nice guy, super generous, but tough as tough as nails, tough as they come. So anyway, she sent that my mom did to my my her cousin, who's my godmother, who I was actually going to send it to her. And then I, I just sort of spaced um, and, and forgot to do it. But my mom did it. And what was amazing about that is that my godmother, who is my uncle's uh, daughter, uh, Diane is her name. She that night, without knowing that the story had broke um, about the suckers and losers, she had a dream about my uncle Frank. And in the dream, she was on a dock. And there was a ship coming back and the soldiers were returning from somewhere and they were all filing down the, uh, the gangplank there. And then her father came out all dressed in his military outfit and stopped in front of her and gave her a salute. And then she woke up and then she opened her email and she read the email that, that my mom had forwarded that I had written her about my uncle Frank. So um, what I wrote in the piece is, you know, 
I know this. We're, we're we're not supposed to believe in these unscientific things, but it's 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 kind of coincidental that I would write that and she would dream that at the same moment. And after having this on Twitter today, um, you know, it, we're not the only ones who are who are having these kind of dreams. And I, I don't know. I just think there's tremendous power in this. And I think he's Trump has activated something that that it, it's a force way too powerful for him to deal with. And I, I have, I haven't, as horrible as this is, I have not felt this optimistic in quite some time that he's going to be done. I just, I think it's over now for him. I, I don't think he can come back from this. Yeah. Oh, hey, Pod Kitty, your cat agrees. <laughs> um, right, right, right. I, I do believe in in these kinds of things. This, this, these forces that are working that are greater than us that we can't understand and. Um, you know, regarding your dream. And like you said, you said in your piece, not to get too Marianne Williamson on you, <laughs> but um, when I tweeted out about my father and, and my grandfather and, and myself um, as veterans and, and, you know, they demand honor and respect, um, I was, somebody had asked me, oh, you said your, your dad died of complications from Agent Orange. How was he exposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam? And I said, you know what? I don't know. So I called my mom and I said, mom, um, how do, how did, do you know how dad got Agent Orange exposure? She's like, well, they, you know, the VA said, but he never talked about anything. He couldn't talk about anything and got to talking to my mom a little bit about like, well, what did he do? Because he never talked about his service. And she goes, I don't know. He wasn't allowed to talk about it. And, and she did say, she did drop a couple of hints and, and she was like, you know what though? Because he was stationed in Oahu, he went from Hickam to Wheeler, and uh, was working three miles underground in some communications, intelligence communications things. He was a cryptographer, so he was in U- oh, wow. Air Force intelligence. And uh, the the military police would come and pick him up in the middle of the night, take him away, and he would TDY to North Vietnam. That happened probably twelve or thirteen times in nineteen sixty seven. And uh, she goes, I, I, he, but he never talked about it. He couldn't ever tell me where he was. He wasn't allowed to communicate with me. And she says she remembered in high school that, you know, after they met, the, the, and he joined the Air Force, the Air Force sent him to Syracuse for an intensive Russian language program and then sent him to live with a Russian family for six months uh, oh, where wow. he wasn't allowed to communicate either. That sounds like some spy shit to me. <laughs> and uh, I don't think, yeah, that's... <laughs> It's not normal. Yeah, it's not the usual path. <laughs> no. And then after he lives with this Russian family for a while, they send him both. They get married and they go they go to Oahu to Wheeler. And she's like, although I do. Oh, I do remember this. He did get a commendation from the um, commander in chief of PATCOM, like the the Pacific Fleet uh, communications dire- uh, guy, uh, some admiral saying you did a great job on something called Operation High Heels. But I don't know what that is. So I looked it up, Greg. And uh, it was um, an annual exercise they ran since 1964 or the 1960s. And he was part of um, High Heels, Operation High Heels, Tabletop Exercise 6. It took a week at the end of October in 1967. And as it turns out, most of it's redacted still, even though that these have been unclassified top secret documents, they're still redacted material in the tabletop exercise. Oh, my God. Okay. He was apparently, from what I can gather... They were taking him back and forth to Vietnam because they were moving the the global communications intelligence relay switches from Hickam Air Force Base to Wheeler in Oahu, and they were setting up a relay in North Vietnam during the Vietnam conflict, during the Vietnam War. So he wasn't actually going to Vietnam to fight 
in Vietnam. He was going to Vietnam to fight the Russians. Wow. And so talking about these Marianne Williamson moments, um, you know, 30 years after he's passed away, here I am uh, continuing his work by, <laughs> by yeah. trying to expose uh, Russian interference, Russian collusion, Russian attacks on our elections. And uh, another cool little piece of history, my mom, when they, when they went over there, she first started working for the Army at the Department of Defense, but they moved her to um, Wahiwa and Wheeler Air Force Base to be a, a Navy ship part supply uh, control library technician and gave her a PSYOP ESI clearance, which is one of the highest clearances you can get, SIOP uh, ESI clearance, which you don't need to be a fucking, you don't have to have that to be a supply chain Navy boat part. Yeah, it's a little library bit. Library yeah. technician. <laughs> Overqualified, yeah. And um, 30 years later, um, I was, uh, I worked as the, um, in a, in a supply chain as a technician for in the control library for the naval nuclear reactor parts manual control library um with a, with a similar clearance so you know i mean things happen in weird ways and for weird reasons and so uh i really really was just totally moved by your story and the and the dream that you're that she had you know what i mean oh yeah i mean it it's it's just moving and um you know it's it it does make me feel and i all the i i, I wrote the marianne williamson line kind of to be funny but i really do believe it. i do believe that there are forces out there and that and that the ancestors are among us and and um you know everybody suddenly focusing all of our collective psychic attention on them this week has to have some kind of power it has to I, that's just my belief you know people believe what you know, they believe lots of things, but that's what I believe. And, uh, you know, <laughs> prove, prove me wrong. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And everybody needs to contribute to, to Joe and Kamala. You got a chance. I've got a link up. It, it's on my, uh, it's my pinned tweet, um, at Allison Gill on Twitter. Um, we have to do this. Oh, and by, to answer the question, by the way, I don't know if I answered the question, but the, the way that my dad was exposed um, to Agent Orange was his multiple trips to North Vietnam behind enemy lines to set up a, a U.S. intelligence c communications relay there at the by the orders of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the State Department. Oh wow! So that is uh, yeah, and and he was a staff sergeant. He was an E five. Greg, that seems a little. That seems like a cover. I don't know what's going on, but I think he was doing some important stuff. I mean, if if it's, if it's still redacted now. You know, whatever yeah. he was working on was pretty important and significant, I would say. That would be my guess. Um, yeah. I feel closer to him. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very, very cool. All you have to do now is go live with a Russian family for six months. Maybe, you know, keep it in the family. Mm. Um, you mentioned about, about Joe and Kamala. I, I want to also say um, the response that Biden had to this article Ugh. was so good. Um, I think I've watched it like four or five times. Like I can't, I can't stop watching it. It's just the, the exact right amount of gravitas and empathy and knowledge of, of what it all means. And, and he seems Biden does almost uniquely suited for this moment in history. 
I didn't think that six months ago, but I, I really do no, think that yeah. now. He's he's um, he he's the president that we need. He's already acting like he is the president, but that 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 little speech that he gave, the remarks he made, um, were also chilling. I thought uh, at, at the end when he says something like, "You know, I've been cautioned not to lose my temper, and this is the closest I've come." I was like, "Oh my mm-hmm. god, oh, oh boy, oh, Uncle Joe." We've made Joe Uncle mad. Joe, the, the, the Scranton Scrapper <laughs> is pissed. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. And I loved when the reporter was like, you know, what about people who say you need to be more angry? And he talked like he was already the president. He's like, that's not what a president does. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just so good. Can you, how, how is Trump going to debate him now? I've all, I've never thought that the, the debates were going to happen, but how can he even walk in the same room? I mean, at this point, Joe just has to keep saying losers and suckers over and over until Trump loses yeah. his temper, right? Isn't the point make Trump lose his mind? Yeah, Trump will be like you, 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 your son. He'll be like your son, da da da, Burisma, blah blah blah, and he's like, you called my son a sucker yeah. for joining the military. Next question, yeah. right? And he just keep, he can keep harping on between that and the Putin stuff. Because my God, there's so much Putin stuff coming out now. I mean, the the the, the Michael Cohen book uh, little scoop that today about how Trump thought that Putin was behind ultimately that little uh, money laundering operation when he bought the house and flipped it in Florida. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I, I brought that up earlier in the A block. I was like, look, the news okay. here isn't that there was a faux Obama. Then we know he's a racist asshole. The news here is the Rebelovlev purchase of his mansion for more than twice as much and the reselling of it two years later and and what did tell us what did trump what did trump say he thought it was it was he thought the money was was putin's he thought he was he was doing putin a favor or whatever and 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 paying him off or whatever he was doing like he in his mind it wasn't some oligarch it was it was a it was a direct putin transaction so Mm -hmm. and again these it, it, it just boggles my mind how anybody can support this guy. I mean, I can't I, I, I just can't wrap my my mind around it. So that Russia is is bad. It, you know, we've known this since, uh, you know, if we, if we can go back to Oahu and, and ask your dad, I mean, he knows, you know, mm-hmm. people know. Why is this a big shock that uh, that, 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 that the Russian government is bad I, and that we shouldn't be um, kowtowing to them? It, it, it's disgraceful. So I think between that and the bounties and the military, there's even a through line, but the Russian bounty story connects the, the, the disparagement of the military to the, the Russia stuff. I, I just, I, I don't see how Trump could even, um, you know, get in the room with him. Oh, oh, one more thing that I thought of today on my walk this morning is mm. that one of the, one of the silver linings of the quarantine is that when, if they do debate, Biden will not have to shake his hand. Right. Ah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want to shake his hand. And there'll be no audience. So yeah. that these are naked answers. Trump can't rely on applause, which is his thing. Yeah. That's his thing that feeds him. Right, right. It's like LeBron James in the playoffs hasn't been as good in the bubble because he feeds off the crowd too much. Um, except that LeBron James is, is you know, um, lawful good and, and <laughs> Trump is chaotic evil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's idiot evil. Is there an idiot evil? Like a, like a tenth... <laughs> Um, I think there is now. It's been invented now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot evil. 
too stupid to crime, as they say about Don Jr. All right. Well, Greg Oliar, thank you so much for joining me today and telling us that story. It's really, really incredible. Can you tell everybody where they can find that piece? Yeah, it's at my site, which is called Prevail. So if you just type in my name, which is O-L-E-A-R, and the word Prevail, up it will pop. Um, and you can just follow the link and, and read it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, joining me today. And uh, I am proud to call you friend, and I am honored to be on your team. So thanks, uh, thanks again. Well, thank you. I, I, I feel, I feel um, honored to, to have heard that story from you uh, first, firsthand because it's, it's a great story about your dad. And, and uh, you know, I, just, I, I, I did not serve in the military, and I want to say that I have a great deal of respect and admiration for, for people who do. Um, you know, which number includes you? So uh, I, I, my, I tip my hat oh, to you. Thanks, m'lady. Uh, tip of the hat, m'lady. <laughs> but that's odd. You don't own Bitcoin. Why are you tipping a fedora? Okay. Anyway, I really appreciate you coming on today. That's my, uh, that's my libertarian meme. Uh, yeah, I'm into blockchain and fedoras, and I have a pet tarantula, m'lady. That's the libertarian to me. <laughs> Anyhow, I really hope that you have a great day, and uh, we will talk soon. Excellent. Thanks so much. Yep. Everybody, stick around right after this. We're going to have the good news block, so stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Since I was little, my favorite food has always been cereal. Uh, as a kid, I would eat a whole box probably by myself and drink the milk after. Mm. And now as an adult, I've had to give it up because of, you know, it was full of sugar and chemicals. But... Not anymore. There is Magic Spoon. It is a cereal that is so tasty. Not only is it not bad for you, it is good for you. There are no carbs, no guilt, no sugar. Well, there's a tiny bit of carbs, but no sugar and no guilt. And seriously, Magic Spoon is so good, you won't believe it's healthy. Forbes magazine says with cereal this good and that offers so much nutritional value as opposed to, well, none, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast, and I agree. Uh, Magic Spoon cereals have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It is. Get ready for this. Keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part is it's so delicious. They have four amazing flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. And it tastes incredible. Too good to be true, but it is real. I eat it every day. My favorite flavor right now is cocoa. It is chocolatey and delicious. And I snack on it dry, too, where I eat a big bowl of it and then I drink the chocolate milk. And it's so healthy and nutritious. It's guilt-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to get, get a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code dailybeans at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That is magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use the code dailybeans for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Hey, all right. So we have a lot of good news. You guys are doing an incredible job at sending in your good news stories, whether they're personal or political. Uh, it is Labor Day, so I hope you all are having a wonderful three-day weekend. Not that days or days of the week or you know have any meaning anymore, but uh, I hope that you've had a good holiday weekend. And let's see. Um, oh, if you want to send in your good news, just go to dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. You can send in your good news, your quarantine confessions, any corrections that you have. And then also on the front page there is where you can sign up to either um, donate a one-year membership to someone who can't afford it right now or a, a frontline worker or veteran, somebody 
um, somebody who deserves it. Or you can sign up to be on the wait list. We actually have a surplus right now um, of, of uh, memberships that we can give out um, because you guys are so generous. We've had hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people donate one-year memberships. Thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, let's kick off the good news today with a piece of good news from Brienne, whose pronouns are she, her. Brienne says, I got my skin biopsy results back and I do not have cancer. It's benign and they don't need to do anything more than monitor the site for future pigmentation. Brienne, congratulations. And can I get a hashtag fuck cancer? That is so, so amazing. Um, I, I, I love that you sent this in because this is the kind of good news that, that we need. And that has to be just such a huge relief. I mean, we're, we're already living, our, our baseline anxiety level right now is, is a little higher than normal anyway. And to have that sort of weighing on you, hanging over your head and for that to, to be that cloud to be lifted is just wonderful. So congratulations. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns he, him. Um, Alex Bozargian is a reporter. She was covering the Savannah Bridge run when Pastor Tommy Calloway slapped her butt and smiled at the camera as he ran by. I remember that. This week, he pled guilty to sexual battery. A year of probation isn't enough, but at least she has a bit of closure, and he has an indelible criminal record. I forgot about that. Do you remember that? The reporter, the guy ran by, slapped her on the ass? Yeah, well, he he was found guilty. He pleaded guilty. Uh, And we'll put a link to that. Christian leader who slapped reporter's butt pleads guilty to sexual battery. Uh, We'll put a link to that in the newsletter this week. Thank you very much from Anonymous. Next up from Goddammit Fritz's Nasty Woman. (laughs) Pronoun she, her. I love your creative nicknames, by the way. Um, So she says, we've had some ups and downs. Three days before I was supposed to drive up to the Pac Northwest to go to pick up my son and move him down, I was diagnosed with COVID. It hit like a Mack truck and sucked rancid goat testicles. Zero out of 10. Would not recommend. I had a mild case. This put my son in a bit of a pickle because we couldn't go get him and he couldn't move in, but he had to be out of his apartment. In swooped one of my best friends who picked up the rental truck, loaded up all my son's stuff and the cat, and drove it down for him. Kiddo spent the next 30 days couch surfing at a friend's house, and as soon as I was released from quarantine, my mom got him a cheap plane ticket down. Kiddo and old cat are reunited. Extra upside for me is that the cat is no longer expressing his displeasure of not being around his human by pooping just outside of the cat box like a jerk. (laughs) I hate when they do that. And I swear it's on purpose. I swear it's on purpose. Uh, I'm starting to get back to exercising after 30 days of being unable to breathe. And I'm getting some short bike rides in and a couple times a week. It's taken almost the entire 30 days for my cat and my son's cat to learn how to get along. But they're doing well together. And then there's a photo. And they're touching noses. And it looks like the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel for kitties. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to put this out in the newsletter as well. And I remember you being so excited about that, too. Uh, being able to bring your son down. And um, I, I didn't know you got waylaid by COVID, but I'm glad that you're okay. I'm glad you recovered. I'm glad you're getting out and getting some exercise. Um, and this is just such good news. And it all worked out. And all hail um, best friends who swoop in and help out. So thanks to them as well. Next up from Veronica, pronouns she, her. Uh, Veronica says, I passed my first phase out of cosmetology school today with a 99%. I am so excited to see where I go from here in this career, this exciting career. That is so wonderful, Veronica. And I have to tell you, uh, here in San Diego, and I I don't think this is happening in other cities because I've had friends saying, oh, well, uh, now I have to come to San Diego to have this done. 
uh, my stylist and a lot of stylists I know are taking their show on the road. They're doing mobile haircuts as long as you have an outdoor place and wear a mask and have the you know um, sanitizing wipes and all that stuff. Uh, they'll come and 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 cut your hair for you. I got a trim on Friday and I'm I can't be. I, I can't explain how happy I am about that because, uh, I mean, I'm growing my hair out, um, but like it was starting to grow in on itself because it was just so long and the ends were so yucky. So I really appreciate um, what they're doing. And Veronica, you're going to have a blast. It's going to be an incredible career. And a 99%, holy shit, that's incredible. Um, that's probably That's probably the best you can do. Anyway. Uh, let's see. Next up, in, uh, this is from Mo from Miami. I remember you, Mo. She, her. Good news, Queens the Beans. There is so much disturbing political news, it can be hard to find a nugget of goodness, but I did it. I did it. You did it. Scientists have rescued a smiling river turtle from extinction. Uh, the Burmese roofed turtle, a giant river turtle, was presumed to be extinct. The first clues that it still existed were three turtles that popped up in a pond. The surviving animals were captured and brought into captivity. Recently, a thousand turtles were released into the wild. The conservation project involves the local community, involved the local community, so it has options for success. Uh, we can be good stewards for the health, uh, the health of the Earth's creatures if we put our minds to doing so. And then there's a picture of a turtle. Oh, so much cuter than Mitch McConnell. Um, the New York Times headline, if you want to Google it, is A turtle with a permanent smile was brought back from near extinction. Oh, this is so good. Send that out in the newsletter, too. Next up, Confessor D. With a double dose of pimpness. No, I don't know. D. D. Pronouns he, him. I'm lactose intolerant. My wife and I... Oh, this is a confession. Okay. That's right. We've started to mix the confessions in. And uh, our staff is putting together the confessions and the good news, and this seems to be mixed in. So this is a confession from D. I'm lactose intolerant. My wife and I have been trying to eat better, adopting a pescatarian style of eating more fish and vegetables and less meat and cheese. I do most of the outside. Uh, I do most of the outside the house activities, including grocery shopping. Okay, so he. Okay, got it. Whenever I shop, I get a cheese snack that, I, that will now give me gas, and I eat it before returning home. Later, I have horrible gas. I tell the wife, must be from all the vegetables we're eating. <laughs> the cheese eating is my secret stress relief. I know it's wrong, but I do it anyway. Working on your night cheese. Thanks, Dee, for sending that in. Next up from he, him. Hi, I like to call Trump the abscess in chief. In addition to... Unemployed Action and the Center for Popular Democracy. I've also been volunteering for When We All Vote, and I wanted to recommend it. It's a nonpartisan voting advocacy group. We text people and get them to register, request mail-in ballots, and provide information how to vote safely. Let's flush the turd November 3rd. Also, in this awful time, my wife and I have been taking joy in the animals that live around our house. We're extremely fortunate to have a lovely place to be quarantined. We have crows who come by to talk, silly baby hawks that look formidable but act like goofballs, and a bunch of little green lizards called Carolina anoles. We named one lizard Kilroy, since he looks he likes to poke his head up over the fence line. I get it, Kilroy, yes. Um, lately, he started sleeping on the vine outside of our living room window. It's a highlight of our evening when he makes his way to the vine, clamps his little claws down, and dozes off till morning. Sometimes I come down before he wakes up, and he makes a great big yawn before scampering off the vine. He's fucking adorable. We get so goddamn excited when we see them. It feels like being a kid again. There he is, the little green anole. My sister, when we were growing up, she had a pet, um, green anole. He's very cute. We have a picture. We'll put it in the newsletter. If you send us a picture, we will be doing that. Next up, from Steve. 
uh, on Twitter at twin ARP. Good news things. I last wrote about loss of touch. That was 100 days into lockdown. Now it's been 175. I live in Melbourne, Australia, and we currently have the strictest lockdown rules on the planet. Yay? My mom died last month after a very long case of Parkinson's, 29 years. My brother and I realized we we had been grieving with mom over her loss for a very long time, but I'm feeling a little bit special at this moment. Since mom died, friends and other folks have been spoiling me. Two friends have sent me exorbitant packs of cheese and cheese accoutrement. One Facebook friend, who I never met, has sent me a hand, hand-knitted things and lovely gifts from her travels today. Well, cheese, if we could talk to uh, Confessor D about his lactose intolerant intolerance. Um, we could send him some cheese. Now, continuing on. Wife, who I've been separated from for 16 years, who hasn't been in lockdown at all due to her work, went shopping for me today, and when she arrived, she brought a gift. It's a cutting from the Aspidistra mom gave us when we bought our first house in 1985 in the brass bowl that mom gave it, gave it to us in. The original Aspidistra was p- planted in the garden of the house we built in 1995, where the wife is still living. This makes me happy. Melbourne's lockdown is tough, but I feel loved and looked after. Hope you're all well. And then there's a picture of the plant. Oh, and this beautiful copper bowl that it's in. That's lovely. Next up from Polar Bear. Pronouns he, him. Hello, beans, ladies. I'm a stay-at-home parent of two young kids and now a working-from-home spouse who sits in our bedroom all day taking Zoom calls with a background so nobody sees our messy bed and listening to you after bedtime while I clean up after bedtime while I clean up the day's chaos is about the only thing that keeps me connected to the crazy world outside after nearly six months of being on duty all day, every day, without getting to send the kids to school or daycare or summer camps. Yes, Mr. Mom. My good news is about my seven-year-old son who started virtual second grade. He starts virtual second grade next week. At breakfast this morning, he asked about my disapproving grunt in response to the latest headline about the dismantling of the USPS. So I gave him a quick rundown without swearing some fucking how uh, or of voting by mail. 45 and his lackeys doing their best to gum up the works and how once again the orange menace is saying the quiet part out loud that the goal is to suppress turnout. My son's reaction? He furrowed his brow, thought for a moment and then said indignantly, but that's cheating. In that moment, he gave me hope. If a second grader can see so quickly that 45's behavior is fucked up, maybe enough of the rest of us can realize it too and put a stop to it. P.S. Since I don't get enough listening time to keep up with the extra content, I've just sponsored a subscription for someone else, as well as a couple other merch items. I briefly wondered why your merch store has women's underwear but not men's. Then I realized under no circumstances do I want to buy Put Some Beans on It men's underwear. (laughs) Keep up the good work, ladies. And vote in numbers too big to manipulate, but only once each you spray tanned buffoon. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Polar Bear. That's fantastic. And thanks for working hard, staying home, doing the jobs, looking after the kids. That's tough. Next up from Anonymous, she, her. Uh, this one has a trigger warning with childhood abuse and trauma. Hello, lovely Leguminati. I'm a longtime listener, first submission, and I'm a grateful sponsored member. This is actually somewhat old good news, but I've been unable to submit until now. I live with PTS, and one of the ways that it manifests is with severe social anxiety. So what follows is my much agonized oversubmission of good news. It starts out bad, but it ends with good news, I swear. So many of these do. But I'm so glad that you wrote to us. Um, She says, just after my 15th birthday until I aged out, uh, I was in one foster home. It was three years of the worst hell you can imagine. I was subjected to physical abuse, sexual abuse, and psychological torture. All of this under the not-so-watchful eye of my social worker, whose response to me telling her 
I was being abused was to tell me I was being hysterical and then promptly to tell my foster parents what I had said. As a result, I never told anyone again until I was out of foster care and, uh, and told what happened to me to a close relative. The first good news is back then, a thorough investigation was done, and after a grueling trial, the male half of the foster unit was found guilty of his crimes and sentenced to 37 years in prison. Excellent, with an 85% serve rate. Oh, that is so, that's so vindicating. The second bit of good news is more recent. At the beginning of this year, the laws concerning the statute of limitations on childhood sex crimes was extended from three years until the victim's 40th birthday. This is relevant because I'm 37. This means I can sue that private foster care agency and finally have some closure on what that social worker did to me. I already have an excellent law firm representing me. I'm happy to say the case is moving forward, although at a glacial pace because of COVID. Thank you so much for all of the beans, uh, all the beans crew does. It brightens my day while keeping me informed. I don't know what I would do without you all. I am so, 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 so proud of you for, for bringing this case because a lot of people can't. And I think that you serve as a proxy for justice for others. And um, I wish you godspeed with that and if you you know my dms are open if if you need anything so thank you next up from anonymous um this is our last one this is our last piece of good news uh pronouns he him love the show you all feel like close friends after listening and laughing for the last year or two i have heard ag ask a few times whether the url is dailybeanspod.com or the dailybeanspod.com and mandy and jordan always say it's dailybeanspod.com so i thought it would be nice if I went and registered thedailybeanspod.com and redirected it to dailybeanspod.com, but it looks like Mandy or someone already did that. Good news, AG. You can say it either way. <laughs> the fucking great part is I probably bought it. I probably, and you know what? I think I did. I probably bought those both and aimed them to the same site. All right, everybody, thank you so much for your good news submissions. Uh, they're so uplifting. And your confessions, too. If you, again, have anything to submit, you can go to dailybeanspod.com or thedailybeanspod.com, mullersherep.com, quarantineconfessionspod.com, uh, allisongill.com. We'll take you there. Um, all sorts of websites are aimed at that page. So it's, it's hard to miss. I think if you just put anything in the URL, it'll just direct you right there. So, again, thank you so much. Everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>